all of these things that are created to say that you are not enough, you are wrong, you're an abomination, you are not okay because you are not the white Eurocentric heteronormative cisgendered standard that we are told is appropriate. It's manufactured. There's so many things about our lives that are gendered. And some of those things are a lot more important and hold more cultural significance than we realize. That is, until we have a kid that comes out as trans and then all of that privilege you had and all of that mental energy you didn't have to spend on thinking about all of the ways in which the world wasn't set up for your child are gone. Now, I should be clear when I say we, I'm talking about cisgender, heterosexual white people. People of color, which I am not, have a lot more awareness about the ways in which the white Western world was not built or designed for them. One of the most common conversations I have with white parents of trans kids, usually pretty early on, and always because they bring it up, is about their awareness of exactly how much privilege they have and also how much it sucks to lose it. You're listening to Camp Wildheart your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host slash head counselor, Mackenzie Dunham, but you can call me Mac. Before we get started, I want to make some announcements. First, if you're a first-time listener or if you found us and have just been listening along but haven't actually gone back and listened to the earlier episodes, you need to pause this episode and go back. There's a method to my madness, and season one is full of stories from parents just like you, and it really is the best place to begin. Second, we are actively working on building a community for you. We have a Facebook group called Camp Wild Heart Community, and it's totally private. And then we have a Discord server, also totally private. If you want access to the Discord server, you actually have to email, and we'll screen you and make sure that you're legit, and then you can have access to it that way. Um, the email address is camp at wildheartsociety.org. We're very serious about your privacy. And then the last announcement I have, which I'm super excited about, is that we're going to have real-life Camp Wildheart this summer. You can join us or find us at Sequest State Park in Washington State. Come unleash your wild heart. Join our thriving community of families as you experience the magic of summer camp. For more information, go to wildheartsociety.org slash events slash camp. Now that that's done, on to the good stuff. Today, we're talking with Erica Corday about culture, hair, privilege, gender, and race. Erica is the host of the podcast Pause on the Play and has built an exceptional community of listeners that are showing up and exploring ways to make their values more explicit at work and at home. She's curated connections and learning experiences that will help anyone challenge harmful norms, show up as an imperfect ally, and live in alignment. I was on her podcast last year, and you can find Pause on the Play on all major streaming platforms. And learn more about Erica and the Pause on the Play community at pauseontheplay.com. Enjoy. Erica, thanks for being on the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, I'm excited for the multiple layers of conversation we're going to have and the expertise that you bring to the table. I want to start by just, um, can we just start with like, how did you end up doing this work? Sure. I can do that. Thank you for having me, Mackenzie. I'm happy to be here and to have all the places this conversation will go because I like conversation that goes everywhere. I have a happy space for it inside of me. <laughs> That's good because I'm random. <laughs> oh, so am I. Trust me. I'm I'm here for it. Um, So I have been in the beauty industry for over 20 years. That was the thing that I wanted to do from a pretty young age. Like I wanted to do that in high school and my mother was like, no you're smart, you're going to go do this international baccalaureate program. I'm like, I don't care about this program. (laughs) And so (laughs) I graduated high school to still go into cosmetology. And what I didn't know back then was that, you know, my entire life up until then, and, you know, the entire kind of personal and professional career I had um, up until now 
all involved this work. It all involved an awareness of who I was as an individual and how that would temper what I did, uh, what I, what it was believed that I couldn't do, um, what it was assumed my skill set was. Uh, it was something that I regularly supported clients in with trying to navigate identity, uh, how they felt like they had permission to show up, how it was that that would support or undermine their credibility, uh, specifically when I had people that were in, um, you know, high-ranking government jobs that are like, you know, I have this high clearance, and if I let my hair no longer be straight and relaxed and I go natural, this is going to shift some things. And I literally had to have that conversation um, with a lot of people and just the you know, what are the the cultural ramifications of, you know, how you're processed by those around you um, uh, from a community or familial standpoint? And also just what are the stories that you've been told about yourself? You know, what are you supposed to look like? What 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 is a woman supposed to do with her hair or not based on her size, her age, her um, positioning in life of, of being a parent or not being a parent, um, just all of these things. And it's like, I had no idea that all of that was really conditioning me to do the thing that also all of us that are hairstylists know, like we should be paid therapist rates. Oh yeah. Way. <laughs> like totally. Tell, tell us stuff. And it's like, I didn't ask for this today, but I can't turn you away either. And so I've, I've held space for people my entire life and then being able to take it and to create an entire brand and way of interacting with people um, and being able to bring all of these skill sets together, my desire to utilize my empathy as a tool to support people in investigating the norms that they prescribe themselves and to reconsider uh, what other people's normals are as well as they just evolve through life has really set the stage and continues to evolve for me what it means to be in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, but also to be a coach. Yeah. I'm curious about when you were in high school and you were like, I'm going to go into cosmetology. Mm -hmm. um, would you have ever dreamed that this is where it would have led you? No, <laughs> no, no. I literally, I went to a high school that um, even to this day still has cosmetology as a trade. So it was the type of school where you went to school and you could learn how to do something, which to me made sense. It's like, great, I can learn how to do something and it will support everything else I do as soon as I come out. So to me, it was like, oh, this is a win-win. My mother did not see it that way. And I, <laughs> but it's also something that I think from a societal standpoint, people don't hold trades in high regard, but they love the trades being um, a service that they have access to. And me wanting to do that did not mean that I couldn't do anything else. It didn't mean that I wasn't smart enough to do anything else. It was because I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the interaction of it. I enjoyed supporting someone in feeling good about what they saw when they looked in the mirror and how that was such a um, supportive act to help people to reconnect with the beauty inside of themselves as how it was reflected on the outside. And I just liked having my hands in hair and had no idea how that skill set that I used wrapped inside of a whole nother skill set really created an avenue so that no matter what else I chose to do in life, that that inner peace was always going to be there. And that's been the constant. That peace that is me that's been there regardless of what I facilitated and how I facilitated it as my current career. That's amazing. As you're talking there, I was sort of envisioning, I was one recalling like my own experiences of like the journey of my own hair, like from going from having like super long hair that was like quote unquote super feminine um, and like with highlights and all of the things that I was supposed to have in it um, in order to fit whatever standard. And then like the process of going shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And I remember very clearly when I was sitting in a salon um, and having my hair done and they were, she was, she wasn't even done with it yet. And she like combed it back and it was like similar to how it is now, which is short and um, tall. And she combed it back and I had just this brief moment of like, Oh my God, there I am. 
right? Right. And I didn't even know I wasn't there before. That is the beauty of the beauty industry. People have an opportunity to witness themselves in ways that they may have not even realized they were not allowing themselves to previously exist. They have an opportunity to really kind of dive into where they have preconceived notions of how other people are supposed to exist. And the reality of how we allow ourselves or don't allow ourselves to portray ourselves through our physical imagery, whether that's our clothes, our hair, our makeup, or lack thereof of that or anything else with our bodies. It is such a learning and unlearning that we do in regards to just our own personhood as well as like, you know, what do you process of other people? You know, what's the assumption of if you see somebody that has this type of hair or whatever that might be? And I think back of when I was younger and there was there were very clear assumptions of what it meant if a woman had short hair or a quote. I'm using air quotes here, uh, a, a short hairstyle that wasn't feminine. Or if you had really, you're not supposed to have long hair when you get older. Or as somebody that had a relaxer when I was younger and then grew it out and, and went natural. Um, and now like I am today, like I'll, I'll wear head wraps. And it's like there's an assumption of who you are and how you are, uh, how much money you do or don't have. What does that mean about your spirituality? There's all these stories. And it's like, this just makes it easier for you to try to pass judgment and quantify me when you have no idea about me. And all that does is tell me that you don't know yourself. <laughs> and how, what, tell me more about that. Say more about that. How does it, how does it tell you, oh, you don't know you? Because when somebody is so like just hell bent on, I need to easily and quickly quantify who and how you are based on not even having been in a conversation with you, but based on the decisions that you made today, I am, I want to know who you are and I need to be right about this being your truth. When if you were secure enough in your own truth, you wouldn't have a need to push your preconceived notions on me. You would have enough security of your own that you don't have any fear of me taking up more space. It wouldn't be a threat to you. There would be, there wouldn't be something that took away from you if you didn't know about me. Because anytime people don't know, that invokes fear. And so your lack of being able to know me somehow has become a reflection of you when me has nothing to do with you. Nothing. Can I just ask at what point in your life you learned that? It's still learning it because we are beings that desire to be accepted and to be in community. I, I mean, if I simplify it down to almost an animalistic place, we're pack animals. Yeah. We don't, we're not really designed to not operate with others, to not be interdependent on one another. So there's an understanding of that. And yet there will always be experiences that will come up to challenge just how well you know it. Like, do you really know it? Are you sure? Like, you, you know it here, but I'm going to give you a little piece of nuance on this one just to, just to test you again, just to give you another piece to kind of pull back the layer of your own unlearning of how you were programmed without your consent of how you process yourself and others. And so there's always this place of as much as you think you know it, there's always more to, to learn, to know especially when you go from just the familial or personal pieces and then you go into professional space and then you have socioeconomic status that shows up. You, you have all of these additional societal indicators that become layers of how all of these things get filtered and processed in our heads and in our hearts and in our bodies. And we're constantly just having to pull back that veil and figure out where am I in this right now? Yeah. Which really takes a lot of humility. It does. Which a lot of people, especially adult people, <laughs> um, especially white adult people, uh, don't really have a lot of. Um, there's like 
this rightness, like the rightness of whiteness, right? Like this idea of like the white way is the right way. And um, that's, I do, and that doesn't just apply to race, right? Like that, that is how white people approach so many things. Um, and so the, the idea of approaching things with curiosity and not knowing um, is really difficult um, a lot of the time. It, it is. And so much of it, you know, it's, it's obviously, you know, really simplifying it, but I think so much of it comes from that place of, if you don't know or you're not sure, what does that mean about everything else? And so whenever you leave any space for questioning or that curiosity of what could be different or what if, you risk the unraveling of everything <laughs> that has been. And oh, yeah. scary to a lot of people who their entire existence and way of being is based on all of those things staying intact and the minute you start to pick that apart and you see that you know there's no foundation under this house there's no insulation in these walls there's you know there's nothing here it's like, wait, 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 wait. No, you don't see that. It feels very, you know, the Wizard of Oz or like from the movie The Wiz of like, you don't look behind the curtain at, the, at, at Oz. You don't look there because then you realize it's not what you were told it is. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, really? That's what's here? And it reminds you that you have more power and autonomy than what you thought you had, which again, you realizing that means that you are blowing holes in the lies. Yeah. I was reminded of a, um, there's a comedian and poet and just forward thinker um, who goes by the name of Alok, A-L-O-K. Um, and uh, they're first generation American um, from, and their family is from India. And um, as a trans person, um, they showed up to their grandmother's house with a nose piercing, which is um, in Indian culture, something that is for women. Um, and this person is AMAB. And their grandmother said to them, how could you do this to me? And the, and Alok said that they realized in that moment that the betrayal was really how could you show me how much of my life was wrong? Like, or, or that I was living in this way that I had to live when I didn't have to live this way. So um, I, I, I do know who Alok is and they're amazing. And I, every time I hear something, I'm like, Oh, Oh my gosh. I know. And, and the interesting thing is that type of experience is all too common. And, it it really calls attention to the fact that there's a lot of deficiencies when it comes to safety and security and how we're brought up um, because it requires a certain amount of fragility in what you were taught as your normal in order to believe that a nose piercing is enough to shatter all of that. It takes a lot of unsure uh, footing, so to speak, to allow someone else's choices to dismantle your entire reality. And it's often something that I find is placed squarely on the shoulders of um, personhood from a cultural standpoint, as well as a... Um, life expression standpoint. Um, there's the, the, I don't feel like I'm saying anything that no one knows of, but I, I'm going to say there's a show called Pose, like, duh, of course. <laughs> um, and I finally just finished um, season three and really just witnessing how Electra's um, mother said something that I feel like I've, I've heard iterations of this from other people as having been their experience of like, 
I had a son because I wanted to be protected and I didn't want you to leave me like all the other men. I wanted this for me. And so this putting this responsibility on this child to care for you, to be your savior, to be the reason why you have uh, hope and redemption in an entire group of people where you have lost all of that. There's a lot of, of onus that people put on others to fix their trauma. Yeah. And it's not okay to force someone's expression of themselves, uh, their, whether it be their, it's, it's, it's coming from race, if we're talking about gender, if we're talking about religion, it, it, insert thing here. It's not okay for me to have to shift the way that I experience this thing called life because you need a do-over or you need reassurance. That's not what I'm here for. Yeah. And that's, I think, an even, I mean, person to person, right? That's one experience. And then within families, like it's even more entrenched and more enmeshed and it's so much harder to even pull apart. And I think I'm thinking about listeners and thinking about how, how often when parents, when a kid comes out and a parent's like, I'm having a really hard time with this, um, what they're having a hard time with is so much more than just my kid is trans, right? It's their, it's the gender norms that they've subscribed to. It's the, like the awareness or this, this like possibility of like, oh my God, everything I know is backwards. Um, it's, I've been spending my entire life trying to not make waves and here we are now wave makers. Um, it's, I, the rupture in connection with their kid um, and it's so much more complicated, um, or not complicated, but complex, I think is a better way. Right. Right. It's layered and it requires, in order to move through it, it really requires self-work. It does. It does. And I think that that's something that a lot of parents are like, they bring their kid to therapy and they're like, here, fix this. <laughs> no, no, no. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, so let's talk to you. And they're like, uh. that part, <laughs> that part, because the biggest thing that comes up for me as somebody that grew up, not really feeling witnessed or, or, or feeling, um, a- acknowledged for who I am and not what others want or need me to be. Um, and still, even as an adult, you know, I can I can use a, a random example of just the fact of like, I communicate the way that I communicate. And for some people that's not um, linear enough or it's not clear and simplified enough. And it's like, well, this is what I do. And it's, it's a very challenging thing to have people always want you to acclimate and not even understanding that you want me to acclimate to a white supremacist way of being. You need me to fit in this box because this is easy, this is simple, this is succinct, and I'm not giving you any of that. And I just gave you something else to intersect with my entire um, way of being that is now like, oh, now I really don't understand you. And the minute that, from the standpoint of a parent, but I think this applies to any type of interpersonal relationship, if someone is sharing something with you about who and how they are. And while I won't discount your experience um, and that you have your things that maybe you're having a hard time with and you're trying to navigate, there is a certain dismissive piece that can sometimes show up there when someone is expressing to you how they are not what you've always known them to be and how you've socialized them to be. And yet your response is, I'm having a hard time with this. Really? Because I feel like you just somebody that just told you they're about to change their entire way of thinking, entire way of being out loud, and that they now have to walk through life choosing to do that in a world that isn't necessarily all that accepting of them. And you're having a hard time. I need you to put that away. <laughs> and that sounds mean. <laughs> and I don't, that's not my intention. But there is something there of like, this is, this is not easy for anybody involved. But I also need you to understand how you cannot keep centering yourself. That's a big part of the problem 
Because how are they able to feel comfortable in a world that treats them as if they don't know who they are, and yet they can't even have that safe space with you? Mm, yeah. There's so much that you just said there that I want to like <laughs> repeat and like repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. Right? <laughs> Parents are so good at like making things about them. Um, mm -hmm. like, so good at it uh and i think part of the there's like it's it's gener intergenerational too right like yes part of the reason that they feel that they can do that is because their parents did that right and um the idea of allowing or believing a child that says this is who i am um is so difficult for so many parents and not just children right like just people in general whose experience is different than theirs, right? Um, and they, it's so like, no, well, that's not that's not how that went. That's not what that was. You have whole people that grow up and they're like, you know, mom or dad or whoever. They're like, I don't like to cook. Oh no, it's not that you don't like to cook. You just haven't done it enough. I just told you I don't like something. You just told me <laughs> I don't even know what I like. Okay, yes, that makes total sense. And then you wonder why not only is your connection with them fractured. But then they struggle with how they relate with other people. They have trouble with how they're able to own and utilize their own voice and opinions and realities and experiences. You are invalidating them and you wonder why they constantly feel invalidated and they struggle with interpersonal relationships. Our parents fucked us up. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, they did. And like they did because they were also fucked up. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's, it's, it really is generational. It is. You can see it. So like that thread, just weave right on down and cycle breaking is so hard. And India brought this up. We were talking about this and it's the fact of how, like, if it was this bad at some point and each generation is trying to dismantle something, it's like, well, if you look at it from that perspective, like it's better. We still got a lot to do, but if you, and it's, and we were talking about this specifically with um, black families, how the generational trauma, like if we look at where, you know, not very long ago we were enslaved and you look at where it is now, it's like some of it's still trash and eh, we gotta, we gotta acknowledge progress, I guess. And it's like, oh boy. Right. It's like, I guess I, somebody I was talking to the other day said them, it was pretty awesome. We were talking about, um, access to healthcare for trans people and, um, the argument was brought up like we're making baby steps right we're making steps forward um it's better than it used to be and they just were like when have you ever felt like that was acceptable like at least it's better than nothing when have you ever wanted whatever that is and i was like i guess never that sounds like mcdonald's i mean it's not really good food but like i ate that's I what ate. it's <laughs> like uh, right? mcdonald's is not the goal <laughs> It's not the no, goal. it's not the goal, right? And so to keep remembering, right? Like we're not at the goal. We're not at the no. goal. No, I have clients at various points in, and I think I even at my own in my own therapy at one point said to my therapist, "When do I get to be done?" Um, and she like she laughed, uh, and then she said, "When you're dead." <laughs> um, she's like, "There's no." There's, there's no end to growing. You will never be done. No. Mm -mm. It honestly, it's like an infomercial. But wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, and I remember seeing something a while years ago, and it was referencing life um, and comparing it to like the EKG machine. And how, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, I hate the ups and downs. I just kind of want things to be okay for a while. And it's like, that's a flat line. Mm -hmm. That's not the goal. That's not what we're trying to do. Because personally, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere for a while. I got, I got things that I want and need to do. So I'm here. And so it is what it is. But, you know, we experience a, a lot of ups and downs, but honestly, it, it, it could look very different. It could be very different. It could exist differently because a lot of it we manufacture. Say more about that. I think that a lot of the um, 
stereotypes, which cause uh, preconceived notions and discrimination and um, stereotypes that box people in, we create this. Race is a construct. And so we manufacture the oppression around it. It's not a thing. It's, there's, there's no scientific evidence of it. It's not ordained by God. It's manufactured. Um, any of the horrendous stereotypes, prejudices, and things that are thrown at anybody that is LGBTQIA+, and any of the intersectionality that comes along with it, it's not based in religion or science that something is not right with you. No, something is wrong with people that won't just leave you alone. Yeah. And so all of these things that are created to say that you are not enough, you are wrong, you're an abomination, um, you are not okay because you are not the white Eurocentric heteronormative cisgendered standard that we are told is appropriate and should be should be the thing we strive for. Anytime you fall outside of that, we end up having that used against us. It's weaponized against us. And it's done because that is the thing that is set to constantly remind us that we are inferior and we are not enough. It's manufactured. When really what it is, is that those that are afraid to be themselves and to um, be divergent from the mold don't have enough, you don't have enough bravery to be yourself. And so you are intimidated by those that, that can. And so what do you do with things that you are scared of or you're intimidated of? You put them in a cage, you put them in a box, you make them feel like they're less than. You bring yourself up to a place that you are more um, competent and that they are less than. You are the one in charge. That's because you feel less than. I'm not less than. No, you are not. <laughs> and that is the thing that I try and tell kids all the time, right? Like so often, in fact, I was just doing a group before this and we were talking about the way that shame shows up in their transness and how so often for trans people, they feel like their transness is already such a burden to be accepted by others that they'll put up with such terrible behavior from people. Um, and they feel like they can't set boundaries and they can't ask for what they need. Um, and they have to accept the bare minimum because they already like, it's, it's too much to ask for more when they've already accepted the transness. And that's just a bunch of bullshit. I mean, I get their experience. That is definitely what their experience is, but like that reality is bullshit. It makes me so. Because it's telling you that you need to play small because I'm not willing to do better. Yeah. That's not okay. That's not okay. Especially when growing up is hard enough. Like personally, like middle school sucked. Oh my God. Terrible. And <laughs> to, to have had something else added to this where you are either trying to live your best life out loud or you are trying to simply live because survival is the name of the game. I would not add that to anybody's experience, let alone somebody that is in one of the most like pivotal change making all over the place. Why is this even a thing that anybody has to go through stage in life? Yeah. There's way too much going on as a general statement and then to know that there are people who have so many other things that are happening because you know socioeconomic status and inequalities do contribute to our realities in so many ways and then we want to add something oh no baby I'm sorry you don't deserve to have to be this and I am sorry that because of what your parents went through that they are not able to let you be you. I am sorry that because of what they went through, they can't navigate it or they're having a hard time being strong enough to defend you when other people are being assholes. And, and, and the, the acknowledging that 
they have their own trauma because then they have to acknowledge, well, what, what did I not get a chance to go through? Because we are raising kids very differently. Some of us because we choose to, some of us because the world is doing it differently. And you're having the question stuff that you never questioned before. And they're making you have to unravel your own stuff. And you're like, I don't know if I can do this because then what does that mean? It means you get to start again if you want. Nobody can tell you you can't. But yes, that does take a lot of awareness and bravery and strength. It's not easy. And I will acknowledge that I don't want to trivialize any of this for anyone that is a part of this experience. And to not try, what are you missing out on? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that for a lot of parents is the relationship with their kid. And as somebody that I I value my kids in a way that words just do not explain, there is, there, I, I can't think of a single thing that they would come to me with that I would be like, oh, I, I can't witness you. I'm going to be like, okay. And I know I probably hug you too much. So just know I'm probably going to hug you more to try to make up for the foolishness you got to deal with out there. So you just going to have to fuss at me and tell me to stop hugging you so much, but it's, it's going to happen. But there's, I mean, I remember when I was pregnant, I remember, you know, asking, <laughs> asking, asking dad, I was like, would it matter if, <laughs> if our son was gay? Cause I was like, let me make sure I set this right now. I re- I had that. And it's like, no, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I was like, I just need to be clear. Cause I, you know, there's certain things I am and am not going to deal with. And please understand, I will always choose my child. Uh, yeah, always. And so I just, and I don't say that because I am trying to trivialize anyone's experience. I say that to say that even if it was challenging for me, even if I had my own things that I had to unravel or I had to reprogram, I can't think of a better reason to do it. Couldn't think of a, I love my children fiercely, fiercely. And I'm willing to endure what I need to in order for you to know that you have a safe space in this shitty world. And what a beautiful way to show up for your kids, right? Like if we're looking for motivation to face these hard, hard things, these like these early life traumas, this, the attachment work, the connection work that that parents so often need to do. um, Such a gift to be able to like, I go to therapy every week. I do this, like I'm doing the hard work so that I can show up for my kid in the way that my kid needs me to. And I don't have to put it on them. And I can create that safe, safe, safe space. I can be that safe landing spot. And they know that no matter what, I got them. Well, and let's just acknowledge that it's a big thing to one, normalize um, therapy and mental health as a whole. (laughs) So (laughs) that in itself, because, you know, things like, you know, whatever it is that they need. So like we do sleep music when we go to sleep, Um, things like meditating. Um, I've been given different tools by um, my therapist and I've given them to my kids of what they can do when they don't feel good in a moment. And talking about feelings and knowing that you can own how you feel, you can make mistakes. And I mean, I have these conversations and even if it's like, well, this doesn't feel easy for me, it's like, it doesn't have to, and that's okay. And we can work on it and we can talk about it. Like the, the putting words to things that were not given words when I was a kid, it wasn't a part of the conversation. I was not, I'm not going to say I wasn't seen as a human, but from a big standpoint, like I couldn't have my own feelings. I couldn't, you know, feel disrespected. I couldn't have an opinion in the same way. And my kids, um, I try to hold space for that. And I just always hope that that's, you know, how they process it and, and how they're able to hold that because that affects the relationships that they'll continue to have in life. And that doesn't mean that I get it right at all times, but it does mean that I want them to know that there's space for them to be whole there's space for them to be who they are and there's space for me to be wrong. Yes. The space for me to be wrong and that when I am wrong, I can own it with them. Yes. Such a powerful thing. Yes. Apologizing to your child for your own behavior. Yes. Oh, 
Yep. So powerful and important. That doesn't happen and where it can seem like, oh, this, that's not a big deal. It's like, but that sets the stage for every additional relationship that they have. And so while I can't, you know, I can't fix all of your relationships, I can do what I can to hopefully not give you additional baggage to carry. And at the very least, hold space so that if you feel like you did pick up a duffel bag or two that came from me, we can talk about how to navigate it. And I and I can own what's mine and we can discuss what what you can do next. And we can, you know, you know, we we, we can talk about, you know, uh, the, the, the things we all do intentionally or unintentional and what the outcomes are and, you know, what you can do next and what does it look like to have a healthy, functioning, honest, you know, transparent relationship that supports everybody involved. And, you know, what happens when you're trying to work through something and you need to be open and honest about that. Like what happens? And, it, you know, you have to know that you can say, hey, this is how I feel. And this may or may not be right, but this is how I feel. And I won't negate your feelings. I won't say, well, you're wrong for feeling that way or you can't feel. You can feel however you want. And I can as well. However, if we are in a relationship that we both value and want to maintain, then we have to have a unified space to be in discussion respectfully and empathetically. Mm-hmm. Yes. Erica, I would imagine that as people have been listening to this, that something that we have said is going to be like a, oh, I've got work to do. Um, And if it hasn't been that, I just want to say to anybody listening, if you haven't had that moment, um, you're probably trying not to have that moment. Um, But the realizing we need to do the work is a big step. What do you recommend to people to start doing the work? To realize that perfectionism can't be a part of your journey and to allow yourself the grace to be an imperfect ally to yourself and those that you value most and to start there because we're afraid of making mistakes. We're afraid of messing it up, especially if you received a lot of other people's mistakes. And so it's very challenging and you have to understand that Allyship does start with understanding that if you have received something that did not support you, um, you have to do your own healing and your own work and that you have to be honest that, you know, as you go through it, it's not going to be easy and it might be messy, but, you know, this is what you're working on and understand that as you try to support those that matter to you, that you may not totally know what that means or you may not understand it. And again, remembering that if you can't give it to yourself, it is challenging to give it to others, but that you're willing to try and that you want to be a part of this relationship and you're, you're going to screw it up. I usually say, eat some, eat some Nike. I need Nike to like not sue me or just give me an endorsement deal or something. I don't know. (laughs) Like understand that you, you're, you're going to screw it up. You're going to put your foot in your mouth. You're not going to get it right. But that you're you're willing to learn through that. And you don't want to just let it be, I screwed up, to, to use as an excuse for not being willing to, to learn better. But that it's an, it's an opportunity. And that you are, are willing to be in this, you know, relationship with this person. And giving yourself grace and asking them to do the same. And that you'll, you'll. Like I'm trying. That's kind of the best that any of us can do. And and genuinely trying, not the like, well, I'm trying, not the passive aggressive. I just want to give myself an excuse for bad behavior, but legitimately like I am trying to hold space and I'm trying to um, decolonize and dismantle everything that I thought was true up until this moment. And it's not easy for me for whatever reason. And that's not your problem. And I value you. And so I'm working on it. And so I think that there has to be a level of transparency and honesty that you are able to to pledge to yourself and to the person or people that you're in relationship with. Mm-hmm. 
I'll just get right on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's so needed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In so many different ways. There's 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 so much. And you know, we have the time we have, and all we can do is the best that we can. I don't I don't know um that most of us will vilify those that tried. It's those that were so uh, attached to their truth having to stay a fact that we struggle. It's not those that, you know, are doing the best they can with what they had. It's those that just use that as an excuse. Can I ask, um, I'm curious about what your thoughts are about um, what would I like to call the fence sitters? Those who are like, I just want to be friends with everybody and not really take a stance. I just want to be neutral, right? This idea of like, I can just be neutral and I'm not contributing, actively contributing to the problem, but I'm also not actively contributing to the solution. Um, I can see on your face that you have an opinion <laughs> about this. Uh, and I knew you would. You are not Switzerland people. <laughs> You're not, but like, no. Because if you're not a, pro a part of the solution, you're part of the problem. There's no, that was just like back in 2016, which feels like the dark ages right now. Um, there were all of these people, um, most of them being white women that were just like, you know, well, I just didn't do anything. I, I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. It's like, but you know what you actually did though, right? You actually did do something. And that that culminated in something that happened on Friday. You created this. You created this. And so there's 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 no such thing. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as neutral. No, not with. OK, if I if I'm walking down the street and somebody calls me a racial slur. And someone's like, well, wait, wait, wait. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, you know, tell this person that they're bad. I mean, I think we could, there is no conversation to be had. You made it very clear that you have prioritized their feelings not being hurt and you deprioritize me being offended and, 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 um, honestly, a, a violence, um, enacted upon me. You know, if I told my kids that, they couldn't defend themselves, whether it was physically, verbally, or whatever that might be. And that included telling me if they felt as though I enacted harm with my words or my actions. And I said, well, I mean, I don't, I don't want you to make people feel bad. And honestly, that makes me think of when I was a kid and it was like, you know, you had to hug everybody or oh, yeah. that kind of thing. And it's like, so you're telling me that your delicate sensibilities and being um, received well by these people is more important than me feeling comfortable in my body. Eh, no, there you are not. Even Switzerland just came out and said, "Hey, we have an opinion here. We, right. we can't even do that." <laughs> like, no. Now, I have my feelings on even that, like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, you have to work through whatever your your own stuff is. Like, I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you that by not being active. In supporting somebody feeling safe and secure and whole, if you are not in support of that, then you are against it. There's no way around that. There's no, it's like, what? but, but I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't enslave people, but you still reap the benefits of it. You didn't turn any of that away, did you? No. Nope. I know. That's, that's not a, that's not a real thing. And that's a cop out. Because that means you don't, you want it to be easy because the other work is hard. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Nope. 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 Okay. Well, thanks for weighing in. Knew you'd have a good opinion. Uh, Erica, I, I'm going to wrap us up here and I just want to say thank you so much. Um, do you want to say a quick few words about pause on the play? Sure. For those that are not aware, Pause on the Play is, it's an entire brand. Um, it is myself and my co-founder, India Jackson, that we've created. Um, we do master classes with people to begin to figure out more about their values. However, kind of the 
big centerpiece of pause on the play is pause on the play the community it's a space where you can come in and learn from the uh, large array and growing array of evergreen content that talks about appropriative language how to be an inclusive leader during troubled times it takes you through dei foundations it's there's so much happening in there. And that's not even including the powerful conversations that we have with one another to amplify the types of change that we want to see in the world, being able to navigate where we are trying to figure out how to be better and perfect allies for ourselves and one another and just letting one another know that, hey, you're not doing this alone and we're here for you. And so it's it's been an absolute honor to create this space that is off of Facebook so you don't get lost in cat memes and fake mm, news cool. um, <laughs> that, that really does give you um, – a space where you can explore, you can um, really figure out how to navigate and you don't have to be perfect doing it. So we're, we're just so proud of Pause and Play the Community. It's, it's been amazing to grow and it's humbling to just kind of witness the effects of it. Yeah. I'm so honored that you came and talked to us today and I will make sure everybody's got links to Pause and the Play, both the podcast and the community. And um, I look forward to talking to you again someday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, I love having you on my show and I'm so grateful for you to have me here. Thank you, Mackenzie. So welcome. Thank you. My hope for you as you listen to today's episode is that it helps you question your own values and get clear about what is most important for you as you navigate every winding turn of your life and particularly this journey. Thanks to Erica for sharing her time with us. Once again, you can find more about Erica at pauseontheplay.com and stream Pause on the Play on any podcast streaming service. All of us here at Camp Wildheart, listeners and counselors, are here to support you. So don't be a stranger. You can reach out to us on Instagram as wild.heart.society. Uh, we have our Facebook group, which again is called Camp Wildheart Community. And it is a private group, so you do have to fill out a questionnaire and I will approve you. Um, and then we have the Discord server, which I already explained. You have to email camp at wildheartsociety.org in order to get access to it. If you have questions that you need answers to or more support, or if you just have a beautiful story that you want to share about your own family, please don't hesitate to email me, camp at wildheartsociety.org. And I am the one that reads those, just to be clear. Thanks again for showing up here and for your kids. Be sure to subscribe for free to the podcast so you don't miss future campfires and give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps other people find us and we want to make sure that anyone who needs us knows that there's a spot for them at Camp Wild Heart. Mm-hmm.